It is a land of tremendous beauty. High, soaring mountains and deep, rich valleys. And it's here, in this land, John prepares the way for light to heal darkness. A young virgin carries a promise toward Bethlehem, where shepherds, scholars, and angels wonder at the bright star born in a humble cave. Now, together, we welcome you into our hearts. Light our lives with the power of hope, peace, joy, and love undimmed by centuries and manifest in this one truth. Christ is coming. Uh, I love those images we share each week about our trip to the Holy Land. Uh, we had many of us go there in February, and we we're sharing some of those scenes we looked at. You saw some already. We'll look at the shepherd's uh, story here in a few moments, but I want to say a couple things first. Uh, first, uh, this has been a very eventful week. Uh, one is Dr. Scott turned 50 years old this week, so... Oh, bring it on, baby! Here's the 50 more. We're all wearing black in his honor. That's exactly why we're wearing the black robe, just for Dr. Scott. And my wife and I were married yesterday 40 years. 40 years yesterday. Ron is in the front row. I won't make her stand. But we celebrate those two events this week, very special for both of us. Uh, as we look at things, I, in preparing for the message, I thought, I, you know, we try to identify with who are we in the Christmas story? And that's some of the things that we do. Do I identify with wise men, shepherds, uh, who is it, how, or even the Christmas season? And we all have those kind of ideas. And so I did two little funny quizzes to find out two things about myself. One is, uh, which, which uh, Christmas character, movie character, do you uh, identify with according to a little survey. Now, it wasn't, you know, a very deep research done in this, by the way. You know, you click on pictures, and the end, it'll, you wait, anticipate, and they're going to tell you which Christmas movie character are you, and, and I waited and waited, and it finally came up, and guess who it was? Show the picture of the first picture, Frosty the Snowman. <laughs> I mean, I could have been anybody, but no, Frosty is who I get. So I, I'll look it up and see what it says about Frosty according to the quiz. It says this, you were created by the love and joy of many people, and you like spreading the joy at Christmas. The holidays are your favorite time of the year. For you, it's about visiting friends and family and playing in the snow, of course. Not sure about the last part, but that's what they said. And I thought, and wait, wait on this picture. I'll let you know when to put it, this one up. We got up early at the earlier service, but uh, what nativity character are you? And I had thoughts, I, I bet you I'm a shepherd. Uh, because it's about shepherds today, but, you know, I identify with the shepherds. I really do. When I think of myself, I think of myself as a shepherd making his way to see the baby Jesus after being invited, surprisingly so, uh, there in those fields. Well, I thought, well, I could be wise men or king. That's all right. I'll take that. Uh, you know, maybe that might miraculously happen. Maybe, G maybe Joseph. Who knows? Well, guess who I am according to the little quiz I took? Now I put the picture up. I'm baby Jesus. <laughs> That was not what I expected. Uh, and so I looked at what the quiz says about if you're like baby Jesus according to this not very deep research, as I said already. Just like the baby Jesus, you bring joy and happiness to those around you. As soon as you came into the world, everyone knew that you were some, something inherently amazing about you. And I thought, I am not sure that that is true. Uh, 
you're an altruistic and selfless individual who's willing to make important sacrifices for those you love. You remain true to your beliefs and are committed to making the world a better place through, through loving and serving others. That's the quiz. You do those if you want to and see what you think, but they're interesting. But we're thinking today about shepherds, about shepherds. And one verse especially, verse 10 of chapter 2. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy which shall be for all the people. Born for you, it says in an earlier verse. And the joy is also for all people. Born for you. Let's walk through some of the images that we saw together, about 65 of us there in the, in the Holy Land. Uh, first one is an entry actually into where they called uh, the, uh, the shepherd's field. Put this pictures up, please. It's a picture of a shepherd's field. Here it comes there. That's the entry into what they call that. Right outside Bethlehem is an area called the shepherd's fields. Uh, next picture, please. Now, this is uh, some of the things they put there. Of course, it wasn't there back then, but they put these uh, there to kind of mark how special it is. This is where the shepherds heard the angels tell them, born for you today in the city of David is a Savior, Christ the Lord. You'll find him in a stable, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. You know that part. Next, next picture, please. Now, here's uh, what is surprising to many. When we think about nativities. We think about stables like we understand stables, uh, being wood framework, a thatch roof, those are very English type of stables, not the way it probably was in the time of Christ in the land of Israel. Stables were often hollowed out caves in the side of hills, and that's really what they were. So they're kind of like a, we might think of it as an open cave where the animals were safe from the elements. And here we are worshiping and reading the bio, Christmas story, hearing our guide tell us something about that. Next picture. Now, here's another picture of that same cave. There's a nativity on the side. You see that laying there. and See how big it might be. You could put maybe, we probably could put maybe 30 or 40 animals there in that stable or cave, which is probably the way it was at where Jesus was in a cave like that. Next picture. This is a field uh, outside that now has a settlement on it, a uh, Jewish settlement there. But you get a picture of how expansive it is around Bethlehem. Uh, how dry and arid it is, too. The next picture will show you the, even more of what that might look like. Uh, there's a, a picture now, what it looks like in some areas around there. Very dry, arid, rocky, very short grass, and hilly. All around Bethlehem, it looks like this is where the shepherds would have been and what they would have experienced when the angels came to them. In the last picture, I think we have one more. Uh, there's another picture inside the cave. Uh, some stairs that are carved heading up to where they, they might keep uh, the, the grain or the hay, whatever they would feed the animals. So there are those pictures of what we saw. We can take that off now. Now to really get a clear idea of what this means, we have to understand shepherds somewhat in Bible days. Uh, one thing, around Jerusalem and Bethlehem, uh, it was a stable of the Palestinian economy. Uh, you couldn't grow crops in many of those areas. That was going to be far north around Galilee, maybe even some south, but not here. Very rocky, very hilly, very dry, very mountainous. But most of the economy then would, be, would have been a herding economy. Uh, there have been lots of shepherds around taking care of the sheep and the goats and also donkeys and camels, whatever animals also were, were herded out there. That would have been their story. In fact, some think because Bethlehem is only, only six miles from Jerusalem, right on the outskirts, really, uh, that maybe some of those animals are being raised for possibly for the sacrifices they would have in the temple there in that area, as well as for food and milk and other, other produce that they would need to, to make a living in those days. Uh, 
the way it would work is they would be uh, living in the field, abiding in the field, the Bible says, watching their flocks by night. Uh, as they were there, uh, they would go to where the grass was growing the best. Once the grass had been eaten down, they would travel somewhere else around Bethlehem area. It was a little like West Texas. You might be there and see off in the distance, there's a rain shower. Now, that's the way Texas, it always misses you, it seems, when you're in West Texas. But it might hit out there, and you'd see that, and you might travel there the next day or so. By the time you got there, the grass would be growing there. So that's how they lived. That's who they were and what their, what their story was. And the shepherds were often, if most often, hired hands. They often didn't own the sheep and the goats they cared for. They were hired to do that. They weren't even their own animals. And that was their story. Some of Israel's greatest heroes were shepherds. King David was a shepherd before he became king. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were shepherds in their life, how they lived. We know that. And Moses spent time as a shepherd herding goats in the land of Midian before he went to let his people go. And you probably know that story. But also know this about shepherds, that in Jesus' time, Shepherds were really considered unsavory characters. Nothing glamorous about them at all. Now, we look at a nativity scene, what do you see? Well, there's one shepherd, usually dressed pretty nicely in nice robes and shepherd's clothing, I guess you might say, but relatively nice. And one's holding a sheep. Not sure why you would do that, but they're holding one of the sheep. Uh, the next shepherd is, he's got a staff, right? The shepherd, not doing anything, just standing there. That's typically the shepherd scene. Not the way it would have been at all. There were many shepherds who heard the story. Many went. We think hundreds might have heard and seen this miracle and been told to go there to Bethlehem. We know that probably to be the case. But a rabbi named Jeremiah said in Jesus' time this about shepherds. He said, most of the time they were dishonest and thieving. They led their herds onto other people's land and pilfered the produce there. In fact, some of the religious leaders were told not to buy any products from shepherds on the assumption that they were probably stolen property. And if you did that, then you were equal to the crime that they had committed and you didn't want to break any of those laws. Shepherds could not be a witness in courts in Bible days. They were considered so dishonest and disreputable, they would be a bad witness. They could not be a witness in a court setting. And one rabbinical text quotes, the quote is like this, there's no more disreputable occupation than that of a shepherd. Okay, why do you think they were the first to hear? Why did the angels told by God Gabriel being one, go and find them in the fields around Bethlehem and say, born for you today in the city of David, Bethlehem, is a Savior, Christ, the Lord. Go see right now where he is lying. You'll find him in a stable, lying in a manger, wrapped in swaddling cloths. What do you think that means? What does it mean to you and me as we come today? And as Sharon pointed out, how we are still drawn to the Christmas good news. No matter what happens, we still connect somehow with this amazing story of Christ's birth. One of the things about the shepherds that's really unique that we often miss is they lived in those fields. That they abided means they lived in the fields. They could not leave their sheep. 
Uh, we're told in the Bible story and historically we know it to be as well that if they did, uh, they might be taken by, by wolves or, or bears or lions or other animals would, would take their sheep. Jesus talks about thieves who might break in and steal your sheep. And he illustrates how he's our great shepherd. And so if you left them, thieves would take them or animals would kill them and eat them. And so you, you lived in the fields night and day. This was your life. You know, 40 goats and, and 30 sheep and a, and a ragged tent and dirty clothes and a smelly life and a difficult existence. And yet Jesus came to them. God was born for you, for you. What does that mean to you? Well, four points I want to share quickly. One is Christmas is a divine interruption of life as usual, no matter what that life is. Uh, the divinity of God in Christ, God clothed in human flesh, the incarnation, we are told. That means that God interrupts life, whether it is the life of a shepherd or the life of a king. Whether it's life that stinks or life that's going great, the story of Christ coming into our world is an interruption of that. And I want you to imagine with me after they'd heard the story, and they, they went, they were excited, they, the angels' voices were still ringing in their ears, they, they were still thinking about what the angel Gabriel said and wondering how we got into this, we didn't expect that at all, they were surely surprised. And they go and see, and there, there he is, there's Jesus, the Christ. Maybe they saw wise, maybe they did, but they, they, they see that, and then they have to return to their sheep, and they go back. And they tell people, we're told they told others about what they had seen, what the angels had told them. We're told they praised God and gave God the glory for what they had seen. But, you know, sometimes we're forgetful, aren't we? I wonder if they walked away as time went on, they thought, did that really happen? You think that's what they thought? Maybe they're human like us. Surely some of them did, if not all. Did that really happen? Did they, do you think they second-guessed? Was that really the Christ? He's in a stable after all. Was that really an angel or did I just drink too much, you know, whatever I'm drinking on the fields? You know, what, did it really happen? Did they question each other and begin re-examining the whole experience? Did they begin to doubt what they had seen, what they had heard? So human for us to do that, to respond to God's miracles just like that. We often do that. In fact, Jesus Christ, 33 years later, when he shared the Last Supper with his apostles, his disciples, what did he say? He, he, lifted the, he broke the bread, lifted the cup, and he said, remember me when you do this. Whenever you do this again, whenever it is, remember today the Christ was with you. Remember you touched God today and God touched you. Remember the miracle of God in your life. Don't forget because there will be days you'll forget. There'll be days you'll doubt. There'll be days you'll second guess. There's days you'll wonder, did that really happen? Because that's so very human for us to forget the divine interruptions when they come. One of the practices that I do often, in fact often, I think back in my own life to divine interruptions where God interrupted my life, where God spoke, God forgave, God saved, God gave a miracle, God got me through, God blessed me. I have many of those. Some are really big moments, some are smaller. But I remember 
and I remind myself what God has done. And in those moments, I connect with God in a way that really broads my future by those experiences, those divine moments. It becomes not has, what has God done for me lately, but simply what has God done for me in my life that got me to where I am today. Where did God forgive me? Where did I discover mercy? When was salvation granted? When, when was it renewed? When did God touch my heart in a worship service or a time in prayer or simply he saved me from a mess I got myself into? God does those things for us. Remember, it's important. And it tells us a great story about our life as we are drawn to those remembrances when we see uh, the nativity scene in Christmas once again. Well, secondly, the glory of God's Christmas is a divine human named Jesus. Think of glory, God's glory, the divinity of Christ, clothed in human flesh, the story of Christmas for you and me, and the birth of Christ. Uh, we got to go with Scott and the choir some years ago to England and Scotland. We enjoyed seeing many of the key cathedrals that are there, and they're amazing, amazing structures. They say you can't even build those things today. They took so many years to build. Uh, the artisans that go into making those happen, the, uh, the great icons in there, the statues, uh, the pillars that, that are carved from, from rock and limestone and granite, uh, the beauty of it. It's amazing what you see. It's really uh, overwhelming to see those things. And that's how we try to represent God's glory. We can build those buildings, and so here is the glory of God as we reveal that to us. This morning, I was watching television for a while. I saw a little, note, a little conversation about Christmas between Charles Stanley and his son, Andy Stanley. I enjoyed that conversation about how they perceive Christmas and how they share Christmas Eve. We're, we're doing the very same thing here. But I also switched the channel and saw another church that was having a great program. And I love these programs. We go to them. We do them as much as we can. In this one, they had the little drummer boy playing. And I'm not sure I quite get that little drummer boy song. I don't know where that is in, in Luke. But anyway, little drummer boy is, is beating his little drum, and it's a little cute, sweet song. I understand that. You know, he's drumming away, drumming away. And then, then, then all of a sudden, we see, I see wires attached, and he, and he flies up into the air, and he flies away. You know, uh, and so the little drummer boy is flying away as the choir comes in. And beautiful scene, but, you know, maybe that's how we communicate glory of God in that way. King Herod, who, uh, uh, you know, built a, a majestic uh, temple in the middle of, of Jerusalem, uh, that he wanted to be one of the wonders of the world, and it was. He didn't build it for God, he built it for himself because he wanted to be king of a great nation, not a little tiny, little silly uh, community in the, in the middle of the Middle East, a, a great nation he wanted. And so you had to have big buildings to be great in that time. No big buildings, no greatness. No coliseums, no greatness. No great statues, no greatness. So he built one. He built the whole city, Capernaum. But here he built this temple with uh, limestone blocks that were thousands of tons of peace. It was an amazing, amazing thing how he saw the glory of God. And, and yet, when God says, I want you to, I'm going to show you my glory. This is God who created the world. He created the universe, the sun, moon, stars, and sky. Another word in human, humanity is created. This is God. Here's my glory. Just baby, it's Jesus. Uh, I want you to see the grace. I've come into your world. I've come into your circumstances. I've come into your mess. 
I've come into your sin and brokenness. I come into your death. I come into your life where it is right now. I come to shepherds, disreputable characters on a hillside outside of Bethlehem, expected to be there all their existence and die there. I've come to them. And so this is my glory, my grace in my son is how I want you to know the glory that I experience that I am. So hear that. Well, thirdly, Christmas tells us that God wants to engage everyone's life circumstances. Shepherds really do that. I mentioned earlier that they uh, lived in those fields. Now, in that culture, there wasn't a way to climb the social ladder or the economic ladder. That was not possible. Nobody even thought that that could be done. You couldn't do it. If you were a shepherd, you were going to die a shepherd. There was no middle class. You know, you were born rich or you were born poor, and that's it, folks. There's no other options for that. And so to, to have those people there, uh, and he came to those circumstances, how he offers significance of his grace, forgiveness, mercy, and generosity poured out for all people. That's, again, why we are drawn to this moment. Well, fourthly, how do we respond to the interruption of life as usual we call Christmas? The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God and they told others what they had seen. And they remembered what had taken place and shared that. And they celebrated that. Worship the God who gave them that. And what I love about the story the most is this. For them, it was enough. Hear me, please. They didn't say, more, more, more. For them, it was enough. That's all they needed. That's all they needed was to see this child and know the Savior had been born into the world and born for them. And it was enough. And it had to be enough. And it would be enough. That same King Herod, when he realized that Christ was born, he was threatened by the birth. The shepherds saw what they'd gained, a Savior. King Herod saw what he might lose, authority in his kingdom. And so we decide what we want Jesus into our life, what we want Christ to interrupt our life. We decide that ourselves. We want that interruption where our heart and life is changed or are we threatened by it. I convince some people do not get too close to Jesus. If they do, they might feel threatened. They might have to change their lives. They might have to confess a sin. But have to tell others and glorify God, they might have to become different people by God's grace at work within them. And they just don't want that yet. So they avoid that presence in that moment they might change their lives. How do you and I respond today and every day to the interruption of, of life as usual we call Christmas? Chapter 2, verse 20, the shepherds, and the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God. Will you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, your, your coming to dishonest, thieving shepherds. Thank you for coming to the poor and broken and dirty. Thank you for coming to the lost and needy people in that time. We know that means, God, you've come to us today because you know us so well, Lord. You know our hearts. You know our lives, you know who we are and who we're not. 
And God, thank you for coming for them. And thank you for coming for us. Christ, your son, born for us in the city of David. Christ the Lord. And we are thankful. We give you thanks in your son's name. Amen.